You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. Oh, and they would have been instructed in this from the time they were little children. They would have memorized these words. They would have repeated them multiple times each day. Love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This would have been ingrained into him. He knew the answer. He knew the secret to the good life with God. He knew the way to heaven. And yet he's asking this question to test Jesus. But Jesus, when the young man gives this response, he says, you're right. You're absolutely right. The secret is love. Go and do it. Go and do it. Now, right off the bat, some of you may be uncomfortable with the way that this conversation is framed. Because of the the man says, what must I do? To inherit eternal life? And then at the, very, at the end of that paragraph, Jesus says, well, go and do it. That seems to run against how we understand salvation. We don't get to heaven by doing. We get to heaven in a different way. And Jesus here is saying, no, go and do love. That's the secret to life. And I, I want to be careful here, but I want to be clear here that Christianity is about both what we believe and what we do. It's about faith and obedience, specifically an obedience that flows out of our faith. You know, sometimes as as part of my job, uh, I and the other leaders of this church, we sit down with you all when you want to become members of this church, and essentially we're asking questions to see if you're a follower of Jesus. And so I'll ask the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? And sometimes people answer that by uh, listing different things that they believe about themselves and about God, and that is a correct answer. And sometimes people answer by telling me uh, acts of faithfulness. Well, I need to love God and I need to love other people. That's also a correct answer. Because Christianity is about both what we believe and what we do because of what we believe. Uh, that's sort of uh, an aside, but I think it's an important one given this passage. But what comes next is even more important, right? They've had this little interchange, and the man says, how do I get to heaven? And Jesus says, love. Yeah, go and do it. But then this young man, and the Bible says, seeking to justify himself. Another uh, translation says, and looking for a loophole. He asks a follow-up question. He asks the question, well, who is my neighbor? Right? He's just said that the the good life is by loving God and loving my neighbor, but who is my neighbor? And do you hear behind that question this man's heart? He wants to circumscribe the bounds of his love. He wants to put limits on who and how he is called to love. Who is my neighbor? And this is where Jesus performs one of his Jesus jukes, right? It's kind of a misdirection. 
Because Jesus begins to tell a story. And this story doesn't directly answer the man's question, who is my neighbor? Instead of saying who his neighbor is, Jesus answers by showing how a neighbor loves. And that's what we're going to focus the rest of our time on. You see, Jesus begins to show what love looks like by telling a story of being on the road. For some of you, this will be a familiar story. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. You've probably read it. You've probably heard sermons on it. You've probably thought about it. But for others of you, this may be the first time you've ever encountered the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the two things that I want you to see in this parable are the shock of love and the source of love. The parable, the story that Jesus begins to tell here, is describing life on the road. It says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. That's verse 30. Life on the road is full of danger and difficulty and even the threat of death. And so the first shock of love is where love happens. Love happens in scary places. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was notoriously known as a dangerous. It was a literal path down from high elevation to low elevation. There were caves and rocky crags all along this road that were the perfect place for bandits and robbers to hide so that as people passed by alone or in small groups, they could be attacked and robbed and stripped like this man in the story was. What are the Jericho roads in your life? Yeah. What are the, the dangerous paths? You know, there probably are literal roads that come to mind. They're parts of our city that you say, I don't want to drive through there. Certainly not at night. But it's not just literal or geographic, is it? There are also parts of our lives that are difficult roads that we choose not to travel. And yet the shock of what Jesus is teaching us about love is that that is precisely where love ought to take place. We aren't just neighbors in Windsor Farms, but we're, win- we're neighbors in Gilpin Court. Love takes place in shocking places. Shocking situations, shocking relationships. What are the shocking, dangerous roads that God is calling you to love in? I've shared a few weeks ago that I've um, started leading Young Life again at Maggie Walker High School. And a, a dangerous road for me, maybe this seems like a trite example, but a dangerous road for me is texting a high school kid saying do you want to hang out it's a dangerous road setting myself up for rejection again from a teenager what about for you for for some of us the dangerous road where the shocking place where love takes place is walking into a living room where you know you're going to encounter a husband and wife whose marriage is falling apart. That feels like a dangerous path to walk. 
Others of, it, others of you, it means opening up your family to a, a foster child. We're for adoption. Not knowing the trauma and the pain that these children have had and that they would be bringing into your family. That's a dangerous place. A shocking place for love. But the shock of love is not just the place where it, takes, where it occurs, but it also has to do with the people. And, and that's the next point of this parable. As Jesus tells it, the shock of love is further exemplified by a Samaritan. Samaritans were outcasts to the Jews. They were half-breeds. They were despised and looked down upon. And and this is an important point for us because we now have taken this phrase, the Good Samaritan, and it's come into our vernacular. We use it colloquially and we use it positively. But but there's a shock as Jesus uses it, as he tells this story, because the last person expected to show love would be a Samaritan. He's the least expected hero of the story. Love is shocking. Right? The, the first two men who come upon this man stripped and left for dead in the ditch, they are the, the ones we'd expect to be the examples of love. It's a priest. It's a Levite. These are the religious, holy people of the time. It's the pastor or the small group leader. And as they pass by, we would expect that they would be the example of love. Jesus flips everything upside down and He says, No. It's a Samaritan, the least expected, the shocking hero. What would this sound like today? If we were retelling this story, if Jesus were here and he was telling this parable afresh and trying to shock us with the picture of love, what would he say? It's a good atheist who comes walking down the road. A good Marxist, maybe. A good Republican, a good Democrat, depending on who you are and where you sit. Think of it this way. Who is the person that you despise? The person that you hate. And Jesus says, that's the exemplar of love. The person in your mind that you've decided, I don't have to love that person. That's how Jews felt about Samaritans. They are outside the limit of my love. And Jesus intentionally centers them and says, in a shocking way, learn love from Him. You see, the shock of love is that love shows up in shocking people. The people we would least expect. So shocking places, shocking people. And the the final shock of love in this passage is the extent of of love it's what love looks like what it involves it is a comprehensive picture and that's hinted at even in the old testament in the shema from deuteronomy 9 right love the lord your god with all your heart with all your mind with all your strength do you hear the comprehensiveness of that all of you every part of you is involved in love you don't get off the hook just by thinking about it it's your heart your mind your hands your feet everything And that's modeled for us in the way that the Good Samaritan responds in love. Look again at verse 34. There's a lot packed into one short verse. There's six verbs of what the Samaritan does. He went to him. 
Second, he bound up his wounds. Third, pouring on oil and wine. That's to heal and to cleanse the wounds. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. It's a comprehensive picture of care. It's not a flyby where he just says, hey, everything all right? You okay? You good? He gets involved. He draws close. He cleans his wounds. He puts him on his animal. All of these things for an observant Jew uh, potentially would render him unclean. Put him outside the bounds of the community. He does it anyway. That's the shock of love. He cares for him. He's invested in him. And it goes even further in the next verse. He brings other people into the care of this man. His love involves other people. He's delegating. He's inviting others to also love the way that he has. He pays the innkeeper. He says, care for him and whatever you spend, I'll repay you. I love the last phrase, when I come back. He's going to love him for the long haul. He doesn't just drop him off at the motel. He says, I'll be back tomorrow and we'll get a meal. And whatever needs you have then, I'll love you then too. That is the shock of love. The shock of love. Whatever dangerous place, whatever uh, um, shocking people you are called to love, the additional shock is the cost of love. Isn't it? Love will take your money. It'll take your time. It'll take your emotional energy. It'll take your comfort. It'll take your safety. That's what Jesus is trying to teach us. That's what Jesus is trying to teach this young man who wanted to put limits on his love. And Jesus is saying, be careful. Because true love knows no limits. We've talked about the scene of love. We've talked about the shock of love. Let's end by talking about the source of love. This is the most important point, right? Because in this story... We have three men who encounter the same situation. They all come upon this man left in the ditch. Three of them pass by. The first two pass by. And they see the man. And they keep going. The third man passes by. Same language. He sees. And what's the difference? What's the difference? Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Compassion, that's the difference. That's the source of love. Jesus is telling, he's highlighting us. The source of love is compassion. That's the key. Splagnizomai is the Greek word. I've talked about it before years ago. It's, it's this word that means a love from your guts, from your bowels. It's felt deeply. It's not this passing um, thing. It leads you to feel implicated and compelled. You can't not help when you feel that way. It's a source of mercy. And it's a word that is used repeatedly in the Bible of Two people, Jesus and God the Father. That's the source. Compassion that flows from the deepest parts of who you are. I think this this story is so wonderful. It's so magical because the way that Jesus shows that all three men pass by and see and only the last, one filled with compassion, stops. It begs the question for all of us. 
Who are you passing by? Who are you seeing and crossing over to the other side of the street? Who's become so invisible in your life that you don't even feel an ounce of compassion for them? I think a lot about uh, the, the people in my life who just fade into the background. They're, they're the, the equivalent of background noise. Living, breathing image bearers of God who, to me, I don't even see them. I've talked before about how stingy I am with mercy and with generosity. And maybe we'll spare a dollar because I'm not filled with compassion. Occasionally, God breaks through. There was a time when I was uh, driving that wonderful 1993 BMW 525i and I was at the Wawa up on West Broad Street near Parham. And there was a man there who um, was going around from, uh, you know, e- each of the, um, the, the gas pumps asking for help. He had run out of gas on 64. And he said, I, I need some gas and I need a ride to my car. It's like, I can do that. I, sent, I, I, I sympathized with him because I'd been in the same place before. I thought, well, I'm in, in the middle of something. This is going to cut into my day. I want to get home. I drove him and dropped him off. There are a few moments where compassion breaks through and I'll help. What about you? Is the source of love at work in your heart? So the source of love is compassion, but what's the source of compassion? Not something we just drum up, is it? You see, it's important that we, we name that the source of love is compassion, but the source of compassion itself is Christ. I think the whole key to understanding the parable of the Good Samaritan is learning to recognize who we are. And probably when, when I read through it initially, if you're like me, We've been trained and habituated to kind of plug ourselves into a morality tale. Well, who am I in the story? Well, I'm the Good Samaritan. That's who I should be. That's who I should aim for. That's what Jesus' whole point is, right? Go and do likewise. Now, we might say, realistically, those of us who are religious and in church here on Sunday afternoon... Maybe we're more like the, the priest and the Levite who pass by. Feeling self-righteous, feeling like we have our religious and spiritual ducks in a row, but we won't be bothered to serve and to love. But that's not quite right either. The person that you and I are in this passage is the man in the ditch. That's the secret to understanding the parable of the Good Samaritan. That you, spiritually and existentially, have been deserted and left half dead because of your sin. The world and Satan have attacked you and robbed you of truth and of hope and of peace and of joy and of love. And they've left you there. And many people have passed by not even lifting a finger until Jesus comes. 
down the Jericho Road, sees you, and is filled with compassion. He loves you. You see, the source of love is compassion, and the source of compassion is Christ's love for you. And until you see yourself as desperate for His care, you will always be limiting the bounds of your love for others. And and what Christ does cosmically and redemptive historically is He does all the things that the Good Samaritan does. All of those verbs that I read from verse 34. He has come to us. He has bound up our wounds. He has poured out oil and wine to cleanse us and to heal us. He has set us on His own animal and brought us to the inn of His grace. He has taken care of us fully and finally in every way that we need. And He has pledged to the innkeeper I'm coming back. Friends, that is what compassion looks like. That is what love looks like. And until you understand that, you will be limited in your love for others. How do we walk in the good life? That's the question of this parable. Well, love, Jesus says. But how do I do that? You must know that you are loved. Jesus, He is the shocking lover of our souls who has come to this shocking place that He didn't deserve to come to, but He came willingly to pay a shocking cost for you. I really appreciated what John Mark said earlier in the service before we sang that song, Behold. And I think that word captures the difference between the priest and the Levite walking down the road and the Good Samaritan. They saw, the first two saw, but it was the Samaritan who beheld the robber, the man in the ditch. And until you know, until you believe not just once upon a time 10 years ago or 40 years ago in your life, but until you believe today that God beholds you with compassion, with a depth of love, your love will be weak and anemic. But if you know His grace, if you know the wells of His mercy, you will go and do likewise. You will love in shocking places, shocking people, and at shocking cost because you know the depth of Jesus' love for you. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the simplicity and beauty of this story that Jesus told on the road, about the road. I pray that uh, this truth of your beholding us when we are at our weakest and ugliest would capture our hearts, would fill us with compassion so that we could go to others and love them as you have called us to and as you have shown us how to. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.